The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. Let's get started. Today we are going to talk about New Year resolutions for the year 2011. Is that correct? Yes. And why is it important to set resolutions for the next year or for the new year? Because already we are on the 2nd of January 2011. For me, it helps focus me and gives me direction. Exactly. And also it sets goals. And as we know, if you don't have a goal, you're very unlikely to achieve much, right? You get sidetracked. You do. And I think it's easy to get depressed because you're not getting anywhere. And you're not getting anywhere because you did not really decide where you wanted to go. And I think we see a lot of uh, photographers and students get depressed with their work. You know, they, they are not getting where they want to go, but then they are not sure where they want to go either. And so I think that what we are doing here is trying to set some, some goals or, you know, give some ideas that people can use to think how they want to plan their year in a way. So what is on your list? I know you've made a list of several things. And what is the first item on your list? Well, the first thing that I wrote on the list is to set time aside for you to do photography, not only in the field, but also in the studio. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sort of schedule what we might call photography time. Correct. Just like we schedule the workshops, you really need to write it on a calendar because once you block out those days and you say, for example, you know, this weekend I'm going to go up to Sedona and I'm going to photograph Oak Creek Canyon, it starts to get you focused. You know, you have something to look forward to. This weekend I'm going to Sedona and I'm going to photograph Oak Creek Canyon and you're going to start to get your gear together and you know it's going to start to build excitement too but you know you're looking forward to that all week long when you start your regular work week yeah it becomes real if you write it down and you block the time then it's really going to happen and then it also helps you because people always ask you at the last minute, you know, well, uh, do you want to do this this weekend or let's do this or do that? And if you look at your schedule and it says Sedona to photograph and everything, then you learn to put that as a priority and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do it this weekend. How about next weekend? <clears throat> and you start making, you know, arrangements. Yeah, that's a good point because anything. what you're saying is that you're not planning at the last minute. Yes. You're not planning on Friday afternoon. No. You're planning Be several weeks ahead of time. Yeah, because if you don't, then whatever your friends or your family throw at you, hey, you want to come over for a barbecue or, you know, last minute things, if you don't plan these things, then you're going to be sidetracked and it's going to take you away from your photography. Right. And it's easy to be sidetracked. And I think it's a lot of people don't plan or don't plan enough. Planning is already achieving half of the goal, usually. If you're going to plan it and you're going to go there and you're going to photograph, what's left is doing your best to take good photographs. And of course, what's important also is preparing for the shoot, having everything you need with you. Mm -hmm. But that's a different matter. But definitely blocking the dates on your calendar is a big step forward. And I also think it works well for studio. 
setting time aside for you to work in your studio, whether that's working on your images in Photoshop, learning how to do layers in Photoshop, but setting aside time that you're actually going to sit and do it. And you only have to schedule maybe one hour. I'm not saying block out a five hour block. I'm just saying, you know, block out a time where you say, well, you know, on Wednesday night, when the kids are out doing whatever, I'm going to sit at my computer for an hour and I'm going to work. I'm going to learn how to do this one layer in Photoshop mm-hmm. or I'm going to work on my images. This know, one just, technique. Yeah. Right. And just learning or reading how to do it. But you have to practice, 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 whether it's in the studio, practicing your layers in Photoshop and how to do different techniques or in the field, you have to practice, 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 because that's the only way you're going to get better. Practice makes perfect, and perfect practice makes even better. And uh, that's important. I mean, you you know, people think that all of this is due to innate skills, but it's not. I mean, nothing is innate. You know, we, we were not born with the ability to use layers in Photoshop. We had to learn it. And those that practice it the most eventually are those that are going to master it in the long run. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a very good tip. That was number one on on my list. Number two, I have study the work of other photographers and other artists. And, um, you know, during the recession times now, I know that I read a lot more than I did in 2006, 2007, and 2008, just because I was so busy just with the business that I didn't have time to read about other artists and, you know, other books that I'm interested in. Yeah, the recession has good sides. We have more mm-hmm. free time, so we can actually do things that we couldn't do before. But also we work less because we are also focused more on certain things. And I think, you know, definitely you don't have to study every artist in the world. You only want to study those that you find influential you know, those that do something that's close to what you want to do, basically. Mm-hmm. It's very important because it also gives you an example of what to create uh, in your own work. It gives you an idea. Uh, once you're there, let's say to follow your example of Sedona, once you're there in Sedona, well, what do you do, right? Well, if you study the work of other artists, you can try to do something that comes close to what they did, for example. Kind of composition, look for certain colors, look for certain things that you saw in their work. Right. Maybe study their photographs before you even go there. Yeah. You know, look at their compositions. Um, I used to take some photographs with us that I wanted to duplicate. Yeah, we used to travel. You know, it's not something that I do anymore, but, you know, it was a stage and it was an important stage. So it depends where you are at. And I continue to study the work of other artists. Right now, I'm, I'm more interested in studying paintings than photographs. But that's personal. You know, we're all at different places. Right. You know, whether it's painting or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. studying the work of other artists. They are visual arts, you know, painting, drawings, photographs. I mean, it's all visual art and it's all 2D. So you're not really looking at something very different, you know. Of course, if you look at a sculpture, that's 3D. Mm -hmm. So that's quite different. It is. But uh, in uh, painting and drawing and photography, there is a lot in common, really. So I have that down. And also, you know, studying the work of other photographers and other visual artists. It doesn't have to be just reading either or reading about their life or, you know, looking at their work, but just taking a workshop, right? you know, with whoever the photographer that you choose, you know, the photographer, the work that you like and, and what they teach, mm-hmm. you know. 
And I think it's important to take more than just one workshop because I really don't think you learn a lot in the first workshop with anyone. I think that when you take a second workshop and a third workshop, your learning curve, I know from the students that we have on our workshop, it's just huge, the second and third workshop that they take from the very first one. Because after they take the first workshop, the photographs or the images they created during that workshop, they bring to the second workshop. By the time they come to the second workshop, they're bringing photographs, you know, that they created to the third workshop, and then they're ready to start on a project. I mean, the learning curve is just much faster than trying to learn all of this on your own. Yeah, well, learning on your own doesn't work because you're trying to reinvent the wheel, you know. So, you know, you obviously have somebody else that has invented the wheel, and unless you have all the time in the world, which none of us do, you really want to learn from them. That's how I learned marketing. I mean, I did not invent it. I just went straight to experts, and I said, how do I do that? And they taught me, and immediately I started doing very well. I didn't do it with photography because I I did not know that at the time. And it took me 20 years. (laughs) But marketing took me two years, 10 times less. I mean, within two years, I went from making nothing to making six figures. It blew my mind. And people were like, how did you do it? And well, I I learned marketing. (laughs) You know, marketing works. I mean, it's not trickery. It's not uh, coercion. It's simply how you sell something, you know. You know, if I had done the same with photography, I would have gone much, much faster. And, And I really think that that's the way to go because you're tapping directly into somebody's knowledge. Right. And you don't necessarily know what it is that you need to learn until you're under the guidance or the instruction of somebody who does know what you need to learn and what you need to work on. Well, you usually don't know what you need to learn. Otherwise, you'd be learning it on your own. Right. You know, when I studied marketing, I had no idea what I needed to know. I had done all of my studies in the humanities. I had never taken a business class. I thought marketing was putting a price tag on a photograph. But the people that I studied with knew what I needed to know. (laughs) And they also knew by asking questions to me what I did not know. Right. And what they told me totally blew my mind. I was like, I have to do that. They say, yeah, you have to do that. And I was like, oh, my God. It would never have crossed my mind. And, of course, you know, marketing is one thing. But when you study photography, when you study how to create better photographs, how to express your vision, how to express your personal style, the reason why you can't do all of these things is because you don't know how to do them. It's not because they're impossible to do. Right. It's not because you don't have talent. It's not because you don't have the necessary skills or knowledge or abilities. It's just because you haven't studied how to do it. People think, oh, I'm not talented enough. Well, not everybody is Michelangelo, you know. Right. <laughs> not everybody is Mozart. There's only a few of them. And are they talented? Yes, they are. But do we have to have talent in order to create a good photograph or express our vision or develop a personal style? No, it has nothing to do with talent. It has everything to do with learning how you do that. They are ways of expressing a personal style, of expressing a personal vision, and those ways can be taught. Can we make somebody untalented talented? No, I don't have a magic wand. (laughs) I can't take a musician and say, you will be Mozart. It's not possible. Nobody can do that. But I can take a photographer who wants to develop a personal style and who is willing to do what I tell them and have them develop a personal style through basic techniques. Mm -hmm. You know, that can be taught. You know, how to create art can be taught. Whether that art is going to be a masterpiece or not, that's up to the individual. But a lot can be taught. And we are going to speed up the process because we know things that other people don't know. 
you know, and why do we know them? Because we've studied them, we research them. I'm constantly learning. Every time that I teach a workshop, I teach something different. I mean, we teach the same subjects, you know, light, composition, personal style, and so on, but we teach them in a different way every time. I think it's an enormous saving of time. Well, that's why some of the students come on more than one workshop with us. I mean, we had one person that went to Navajo land with us three times, and he said the reason why I come here, even though it's the same workshop, is Number one, it's scheduled different times of the years. But he said, number two, Alan, I know that you're always going to be lecturing and teaching something else, and it's not going to be redundant. Yeah, no, it's not redundant. So, yeah. you know, whether we go to the same location or different locations, a lot of the yeah. workshop participants, they know that the lectures and presentations are all going to be different They're always and different, new. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, because it's more interesting that way. And also because I'm learning. Right. You know, I like to teach because I like to learn. And because I like to learn, I keep learning. I mean, I learn all the time. It's it's an ongoing process. I'm not teaching the same thing year after year after year. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that when you choose a artist to study under, that it's very important that that artist is still creating work, but is also studying and learning. For me, that right. is crucial. Yeah, they have to be active. They can't be stagnant. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, you might as well just read a book, you know. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, if you can read in a book what that person is going to teach you in person then read the book right you know save time save money and and save travel cost but if the person is studying and growing faster than they can actually publish books which is my situation then by all means go with that person mm -hmm. you know we use the books as a basis but what i teach in the workshops is what is not in the books what i wrote after the books and that's really you know an important characteristic of our workshops yeah uh, and we are not teaching basic camera operation you just learn that by reading the manual what we are teaching is essentially the fundamental skills composition use of light and essentially now, which is very, very important, is how to express a personal style, how to express a personal vision, and essentially how to go beyond documentation. That is, we want to create photographs that are expressive and not just documentary, which is the basis of fine art. Well, the third thing I have on my list is to change something in your photography. Try something new and go out of your comfort zone. That's it important. Can, it can be yeah. just something simple as using a lens that you have <laughs> that's in your camera bag right. <laughs> that you have not used right. for maybe months or a yeah. year. Right. You know, because you're either in love with the wide angle lens, you know, so maybe it's time to put on that short telephoto lens. Sure. <laughs> you know, and to you know, and to start seeing things differently. You know, I'm not saying you need to change a lot. I mean, some of these just are very simple right. things that you can do. But to get out of your comfort zone. And also, when you study with somebody or you go on a workshop with somebody, if they're very good instructors, they're going to have exercises and things for you to do. And by doing them, you are forced or encouraged to step out of your comfort mm -hmm. zone and try this right now, right here, and let's see how it works. And I think that a lot of artists, a lot of photographers, have something that they've meant to do for a number of years, sometimes, you know, for a long time, but they haven't really got the courage or the opportunity to try and do. 
Right. You know, we, we hesitate. I mean, you know, fear of criticism, you know, is, is really something that affects all of us. You know, we're afraid of being critiqued, criticized if we try something new because we don't know how it's going to turn out. Right. And I think that one of the things that happen during a workshop is you're pushed to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Right. And I think that that forces you out of your comfort zone. And obviously, we learn when we get out of our comfort zone. Right? That's a fundamental yes. aspect of learning. You learn nothing new by staying in your comfort zone because why is it your comfort zone? Because everything in it is comfortable. Everything you do is comfortable. You learn nothing new. In order to learn something, you have to go out of your comfort zone because this is where everything that you don't know is. You know, and you have to think of it as a circle, you know. Within the circle is everything that you know, and that's your comfort zone. Outside of the circle is everything that you don't know, and that's obviously out of your comfort zone. Right. And the process of learning involves getting out of that comfort zone. The question is, how far out of the comfort zone do you get? Well, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to wander 10 miles away and risk never finding your way back. You know, you can just take short trips, you know. Yeah, or um, change the lens. Right, exactly. <laughs> Changing your lens. You don't lens. have to go yeah. anywhere, right. just change your lens. Yeah, that, that would be a short trip. Yeah. <laughs> or use your right. viewfinder. Which a lot know, of people, not enough people do. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, One of the first things that Ansel Adams did on his workshop was give everybody a viewfinder, which we do. Right. Everybody gets a viewfinder. Uh, those that use it learn more than those who don't use it. Oh, definitely. But, you know, that's uh, up to everybody to do what we want. It's a free country. <laughs> you know, we oh, don't force anybody <laughs> to do anything. Well, you know, the Route 66 workshop that we did in December was so much fun. But at the end of the workshop, I was really surprised that a number of the participants told us how far out of their comfort zone they had gone by right. photographing those dinosaurs yeah, and TVs <laughs> on that workshop, and mannequins. On and that <laughs> workshop, I think we took a long trip out of the comfort zone. We did walk, maybe not a mile, but maybe three-fourths of a mile. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the Fred Flintstone Bedrock City yes. uh, Park yeah. and photographing uh, Pebbles and Bam Bam and Fred. And, and, and a pterodactyl <laughs> on top of a fake volcano. You yes. know. That, but we uh, had yeah. beautiful clouds mm -hmm. that day in the right. sky. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> did we learn something? Yes, yes, we learned that we can get out of our comfort zone and do interesting things. Oh, know? well, I've yeah. seen some of the submissions yeah. that you have received. And right. I tell you, some of that work is some yeah. of the most creative work that right. I have seen. And expressive. Very yeah. expressive. Talking with personal so, vision. Oh, yeah, yeah, and so creative. Yeah. And these are images yeah that you don't see anywhere else. These no. are all unique Because to the nobody's individual. willing to go there. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. out of, no, but I mean, if it's out of our comfort zone, it's out of a lot of people's comfort zone. Right. But I tell you, all of those, I mean, images sure. are very personal and unique to each of those individuals. Yeah, you're not going to find them in the next Arizona highway. No, you will not. <laughs> I mean, they should actually, because everything is in Arizona. Yes. But that's not their style. No, I think they mainly photograph landscapes. Yeah. And yeah. ghost towns. Yeah. Mining towns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't photograph the Flintstone Park. No. But they should. Notice stories on the highways. Go on Route 66. <laughs> <laughs> so that was another thing I had on my list. So, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Try something new. Change something in your photography. Because that's how you really grow and how you really learn. 
is by doing that. Yeah, no, that's a very important point. What is your next point? And that'd be uh, number three or, or I think the next four? one is four. And that is thinking of yourself as an artist. That's telling important. yourself that I am an artist. Mm-hmm. I know I had this written on my desk. Mm-hmm. And I had it on a piece of paper and I hand wrote it and I put, I am an artist. Mm-hmm. I will create art. Mm-hmm. And I had that and I would look at that every day. And I put it in several places. Mm-hmm. I put it in the bathroom where I put my makeup on. I taped it to the mirror. I put it on my desk, near my desk, so that I was constantly seeing that. And it was constantly reinforcing in my mind that, you know, I am an artist. I am going to create artwork. And I don't know, it helped me. Well, what was the progression? I mean, did you believe it in the beginning when you first put it up? Well, you know, I think it was I wanted to be an artist. I don't think I was necessarily saying that I am an artist. I think I'm an artist. Or I want to believe I'm an artist. Yeah, but I put I am an artist. Right, no, but I mean, there's what it said, but then there's what you read, right? Yeah. You know, you you can write down, I'm a millionaire or I'm a billionaire, but if you're not... That's not what you read, right? right? What you read is, yeah, okay. You know, so, so if you write, I'm an artist, what do you really read? I want to believe I'm an artist in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. And then or I want to be an I artist. I want to be an artist. I want to yeah. be an I'm artist. I'm working my way towards that. Yeah. And then as time went by, did that change? Yeah, because when you start reading the, the second thing that I had on my list, which is I will create artwork, when you read that, you start thinking, man, I got to get my mm. butt in gear and I better start doing something. Mm. I need to do something because I can't be an artist if I'm not creating artwork. Right. So then eventually you start to have a sort of dichotomy that on the one hand, you're trying to create art, but on the other hand, you don't believe you're an artist. And, and that creates a sort of problem, right? Mm-hmm. So then you have to resolve the problem. Either you stop making art or you become an artist, right? Right, <laughs> right. You have to bring the two together, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's obviously the necessity because, you know, one of the challenges that a lot of photographers have is when it comes time to writing an artist statement. And when I work on artist statement with students, they often tell me, well, I'm not sure what to write because I don't think of myself as an artist. And, and I can suddenly understand they apply it because if you don't think yourself as an artist, how can you write an artist statement? It's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's like me writing an engineering statement. Well, I don't think I'm an engineer. Right. So can I write an engineer statement? Well, no. no at least not until I would believe that I'm an engineer. Right. right. And you can't really fake it. Because if you fake it, then it comes across as obviously not for real, not serious, you know. And so the first thing that I do is I tell them, I say, well, think about what you're doing. What are you doing? What kind of photography are you doing? They say, well, I'm not sure. And I say, well, is it forensic photography? I mean, are you photographing things, you know, literally exactly as they are without any changes? And no, I change things. I say, well, then it's expressive photography. Well, what is art? Art is expressive photography. So, so we start to put two and two together and eventually they realize that, you know, even though they may not think of themselves as artists, they are really doing things that qualify as art. Correct. You know, because yeah. art is expression. Right. So, as long as you're not doing documentation or as long as you're trying not to do documentation, you're working your way out of it. Because I think that's where most of us start. You are basically becoming an artist. So, yeah, no, it's a very, very important point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It helps me. (laughs) Hey, what doesn't hurt helps. You know, know, it doesn't hurt. So it helps. Um, That would be number five or six now, right? Yeah, number five, I have, you know, what do you want to learn? Right. You know. Make your list. Yeah, make a list. 
Um, I know there are things that I want to learn, and I write them down, and that really helps me focus. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, this is another area that if you don't know what you're going to learn, say, for example, you know, that I want to learn how to draw, let's just say, the human figure or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I'm focusing on learning how to draw the human figure, then I'm not going to be drawing animals or drawing, you know, baskets of fruit or or doing all these other things. And the reason why I wrote this down, what do you want to learn, is because sometimes I see with photographers on our workshops where when they don't know exactly what they want to learn or what they want to photograph, they photograph everything. So they'll go from wildlife to landscapes Mm -hmm. to fashion design to nudes and there's really no focus right and so you really have to ask yourself what is it that I really want to learn and what is it that I'm really interested in because we only have so much time I can't split the time that I'm setting aside to study art and to do art And then to have to split it up in four or five different sections Mm -hmm. and trying to learn a little bit of each one, it it just doesn't work for me. I can't do it. Well, and it doesn't work for anybody because, you know, like you said, we don't have an infinite amount of time. And most people, you know, don't realize how precious time is and how much success is based or rooted literally in making the best use of your time Mm -hmm. you know i'm always amazed at how many people waste massive amounts of time trying to do everything at once you know Mm -hmm. And and i think that one of the things that we find you know in art is that the beginner the person that is just starting is very very scattered that's a traditional truth you know or truism you know in art that the beginner wants to paint everything wants to draw everything wants to photograph everything and when you ask them what is your project what are you working on they tell you my project is everything that catches my eye right and and they think that they are rocking the world with that they they think that they just found the next best thing in the world of art not realizing that every artist that has ever lived that has started you know, in a given medium, has had that goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, the strike of genius is not to photograph or, or draw or paint everything that catches your eye. The strike of genius, the point at which you're going to start to really get better, is to say, I'm no longer photographing everything that catches my eye. Now I'm photographing this, whatever right. that is. Right. You know, and, you know, the subject is totally up to the individual. You know, in our case, we focus on landscapes. But that's really at the point at which you really start to become better. Why? Because you're focusing your energy and because you're no longer attracted to everything. Right. I mean, you're no longer a butterfly. You now exactly. have a mission. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I walk around the world, you know, there's one zillion things that I can photograph, but I'm only interested in landscapes. That simplifies my life, <laughs> you know, a whole lot. And it improves the quality of my work. Because you can't be good at everything. The problem with photographing everything that catches your eye is that to be successful, you would have to become masterful at photographing every subject in the world. Right. We can do that. Only somebody who does not realize how hard and how specialized each different subject is. If you're going to photograph, you know, animals, it requires a very specific set of skills and a very specific type of equipment. If you're going to photograph landscapes, it's an entirely different set of skills and equipment. If you photograph people, a third set of skills and equipment. And they have very little in common. Right. I mean, sure, light is light. 
you know, and a camera is a camera, but go try to photograph a model with the same equipment used to take landscapes or animals or, or whatever mix, you know, and, and you're going to realize the problem. It just doesn't work. And so one of the things that you find very early on with amateurs that are just starting is they have equipment that's very, very sort of non-defined. That is, indeed, that equipment can do everything, but it's not specialized to do anything in particular. Right. Uh, they usually have a zoom lens that covers everything from wide angle to telephoto. They're like, I can do everything. Well, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, you can do nothing right. <laughs> you know, Because if you can do anything, then why would you do something in particular, right? You become a generalist without any specialized skills. You know? And art by nature is specialized skills. You know? There's no generalized in, in art. So yeah, very good point. You have to define what you want to learn. And, and by, by defining, by taking the time to define what you want to learn, right there, you're already getting better. Right. And that also helps you with the next one, which is what are your goals? Right. Because once you define what you want one, to learn, right. then, then you can really start setting yeah, some because goals. Because that's, that's already one of your goals is yes. I want to learn that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to learn how to express my personal vision, for example. Exactly. You know, well, that obviously one of your goals is to find out what your personal vision is, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> how can you define a vision if you don't have one, right? You can't put it into a photo if you don't know what it is. The next one after that, what are your goals? I have start a project, mm-hmm. you know, because that always helps focus you. Right. And that project can't be everything that catches your eye. Oh, no. no. Because that is not a project. That's going back to square one Mm -hmm. and being a beginner that basically thinks that you're going to rock the world when you're doing what everybody has done before. And then at the end, I think the very last step for me that I have on my list is after you finish your project, then either showing your project or exhibiting your project or, um, you know, somehow, you know, just showing it to others and sharing your artwork with others. It's very important. You have to have an audience. Mm-hmm. And people always ask us, well, how do I find an audience? Well, it's very simple. You find an audience by showing your work. And your audience are the people that come to look at your work. And among that audience, you're going to have 95% of people that love what you do. Then you're going to have a small percentage, you know, 5% or less that don't like what you do. Well, you let those go. <laughs> you right. know, that's not your audience. They, they think you suck. You let them go. They are not your audience. Your audience are people who like what you do. Right. You know, but none of this on my list talks about buying any equipment whatsoever. Most progress in photography today is not related to buying equipment. Mm -hmm. I mean, we teach a lot of photography. Uh, We teach a lot of workshops and we are constantly asked, what do I need? What equipment do I need to get better? And my answer is always, you know, if you want to buy a new camera or a new lens or a new printer or a new computer, by all means, you know, do it. But it's not going to help. Right. Because the camera isn't what's going to make you a better photographer. It's your personal skills. And today it's more and more true because what we are seeing is the cameras are so good that regardless of which one you buy, the difference is resolution, basically. You know, well, yeah, one can make a few more colors than the other, you know. And manufacturers are really jazzing that up and making you think that, you know, one camera has tremendously different possibilities than another. But the bottom line is if you have a DSLR, a digital single lens reflex camera, whether you have the digital rebel or whether you have the top of the line or even a digital back camera, there's really no difference. They all can do the same things. It's just that one can create a much bigger file and a file with probably a higher level of, of quality in the colors. 
But if the composition is horrible, if you have no idea of what kind of light you use, you know, and on and on, that the camera can't help. Right. I always tell people, I say, you know, cameras are lust. <laughs> it's, it's a lust thing. If you lust for a new camera and you have the money, by all means, buy it. But don't come back to me and tell me that you're not taking any better photo because we know that already. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that right here, right now, you know. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I buy very few cameras myself. I did not buy any last year at all. No. I don't plan to buy any this year unless, you know, something happens that I'm not aware of right now, you know. Because it's not necessary. It's far from necessary. You know, the, the work that has to be done in order to improve your work is at the level of your personal skills. It's at the level of learning. I think that right now, to me, the big subject is to learn how to express a personal vision, how to go beyond documentation. And of course, it's always very impressive to see somebody with a very expensive camera for the same reason, but it's very impressive to see somebody have anything very expensive, you know. But it does not mean that they have the skills at the same level as their camera. Right. Know? Right. Right. You know, just because you see somebody using, uh, let's say, a, a Hasselblad H4D or a Phase 1 P65 uh, camera back, doesn't mean that they have skills at that level. Because if they did, that means they'd be one of the best photographers in the world. Because those are some of the best cameras in the world. And for that matter, we have had students that did not even understand what a histogram was, you know, that used these cameras. And it's always shocking, not to me, but to the other participants. They're like, my God, what's going on? I say, well, what's going on is, you know, they had the 101 level of photography, but they have a camera that's worth 50 grand. I say, well, you know, and you know what? We probably have a car that's worth 100 grand. That doesn't mean they're Formula One skilled drivers, you know. Right. <laughs> you know? High performance drivers. Uh, yeah, that doesn't mean they, they have reflexes, at, you know, that at a split second level, you know, that they can drive faster on a racetrack than anybody else. It just means that we have the money. What is it representative of? It's representative of a certain level of income. And that's great. I mean, you know, I think that having a high income is fantastic. I have income to buy some very expensive cameras. But by itself, it is not enough to achieve, you know, the goal, which is to address a personal vision. Right. That you have to learn. And you can't buy equipment for that, you know. So having more equipment is good, but having a better vision is much better. <laughs> you know, oh, having agree. a better ability to create photographs that nobody else can create is much better. So that's all I have for my list. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, we are, we are going with your list. So I don't think that I can add much to that. I think it's a very complete list, you know. And definitely the last one is super important, you know, setting goals. And you have to set realistic goals. You know? Oh, definitely. You know? I mean, we've had uh, students that have what I consider to be very unrealistic goals. And we always tell them, okay, just so you know, it's not going to happen in one year, you know. I mean, if somebody comes to see us and say, well, next year I want to have a world-class show of my work, I'm just starting, I'll tell them, say, listen, I don't think that's going to happen. But if your goal is to create and complete a small project, you know, let's say 12 photographs of good quality, then that's totally feasible. And that's a yeah. lot already yeah. because that means you got to create yeah. one good mm -hmm. one every month. You have to create one good photograph every month. And even though you can take 1,000 photos in a day, that doesn't mean you have any good ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. The yeah. problem of photography is it's quick to take a photo, but it's very challenging to take a good one. So you have to set realistic goals. You have to really be honest with yourself. There's a very high level of honesty required. You have to tell yourself, okay, and that's where I am. Reflection. Yeah, think, think where you are. You know, don't be delusional, you know. We've had people, I remember one lady that took a workshop that told us that she was working on five different projects. I told her, I said, just one would be enough. 
one with already plenty. And she said, I can multitask. And she was a lawyer. And I said, well, you know, multitasking works, I'm pretty sure, for legal work. Right. Because you can work on five cases d independently, you know, a little bit every day on each of them. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not sure. But, but it doesn't work in art. <laughs> because in art, you have to be 100% focused on that one piece that you're doing right now. You can't multitask in art. You can't work on five different projects. No, you, I agree. You know, and, and that's something that's peculiar to art. So I don't have anything against multitasking. I wish I could do it, but it doesn't work. You've got to give everything you have to that one project. Because it's a matter of inspiration, and you can't be inspired on five different levels. Now, commercial photographers can work on separate projects, but that's a different thing. So you have to set realistic goals. And uh, I think that if you follow you know, the tips in this podcast, you, you should have a very good year. Don't you think? I think so. I mean, and that's I think the idea. very realistic, you know, yeah. That's our goal here is to help people have the best year they can have. And if you have any questions, contact us, email, call. Uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, give an answer to your questions. And uh, I think our next podcast will be on achievements or accomplishments, right? Yeah, I wasn't I, sure if you wanted to go over that now or have that as a separate one. Well, I think it's better to have it as a separate podcast because okay. this one is already long enough, you know. Right. And it's better to have it as a separate podcast. So the next one is going to be on accomplishments. And what we're going to talk about is making a, a tally, in a way, of what you've accomplished the previous year. Oh, yes. You know? That's very important. You know, General Patton said, you know, it's very important that you celebrate your achievements. Yeah. All of your achievement. I think that is very important. And I think your family and your friends and, you know, your loved ones, it's something that you should all participate in and celebrate. Yeah, because you can't just achieve. You also have to stop and tally up. You, know? you do. Yeah. So yeah. that's what we'll be talking about in our next podcast, which won't be available shortly. And of course, if you're listening to this after the 2nd of January 2011, it will already be available online. So yes. until next time, we thank you for listening to our podcast and we look forward to having you as a listener very soon. <laughs>